Welcome to the Christine Spray Show, bringing you insights and stories from successful CEOs to help grow your business and increase your revenue. The Christine Spray Show is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Christine Spray. Hi, I'm Christine Spray, and welcome to another episode of the Christine Spray Show. For this episode, our guest host today is David Spray, who is interviewing my client, Kevin Reed, Chief Operating Officer of HB Mechanical in Houston, Texas. In this episode, Dave and Kevin discuss Kevin's background and how he entered the commercial HVAC business 10 years ago. Since Kevin joined the business, revenues have increased 20-fold. Kevin has a great servant leadership approach to running the business, and you will learn why he parks his vehicle on the side of the building in muddy gravel so his employees can park close to the building on concrete. There are some great insights on building a world-class culture and how to attract and retain hard-to-find technicians while growing 35% annually. Now, let's get to the show. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, David. Glad to be here today. It'll be my first time to be on a podcast. Looking forward to it. Oh, that's great. Well, my it's my pleasure to have you on. Well, let's get started. So, are you originally from Houston? I am. I'm a native to the Houston area, kind of born down south there in Texas City, raised oh, in yeah. the Alvin area, graduated from Allen High School, um, still live down that way. Uh, we live in Mammal. Okay. That is awesome. And how did you get into the HVAC business? Oh, goodness. That's a, that's a, that's a long story, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. So I came out of uh, high school, uh, went to college, uh, my sophomore year of college, I was studying mechanical engineering. My father had a quadruple bypass heart. I guess he had a heart attack and he had quadruple bypass surgery. Oh, you know, wow. Back in those days, they really cut you right down the middle and uh, took you about two years to heal up from that deal. So I had sure. to leave. I was the oldest kid. I had to leave college, come home and run my family's business. Um, There's nobody else. My mom didn't know what to do. My sisters were in high school. So came home and ran that for about two and a half years. My dad was in the cabinet business. Okay. Custom cabinets for most of the custom builders in our area and make cabinets for them. Okay. So I ran that business for a couple of years. He came back. Uh, everything was good and um, realized that why well, it didn't work there in the end, the beginning, we just didn't have the same uh, thought process of how to do business. And maybe it's the young bull thing. I don't know. Sure. But, you know, my dad's a wonderful person in my life. Without him, I wouldn't be doing what I do today. But me and him just did not gel as, as a family business. So um, I had to make a decision to go back to college and or um, go out to the workforce. So I uh, had gone to night school and got my uh, degree in, excuse me, in process technology. So uh, just like a lot of folks here, I went to the plants, got me a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to work for Arco in 1988 and went through their as hired as a process operator, um, got a, went to their six-week orientation, and they said, you're something different than an operator. We're going to send you to our engineering school in California. So I packed up, went to California for about eight months. Oh, wow. I a, uh, engineering certification from them. I don't have an engineering degree from them. I have an engineering certification to be an engineer in Arco's facilities. 
Okay. We were um, bought the next year by Diamond, Diamond Shamrock. Um, we were bought the year after that. And our 91 were bought by Occidental Chemicals. Mm-hmm. So uh, I began my career as a process operator, supervisor, moved over into maintenance. Diamond Shamrock had a theory you really couldn't be an engineer unless you knew how to run the plant. So I do an operator for a while. But I, I liked it. It was ship work. Young man, you go hunting and fishing on days off, you know, in the middle of the week where everybody else was working. Sure. So it was a good deal for that. You know, got married while I was there. And I married my high school sweetheart. We've been married 32 years, two kids now. Oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. They're both, they're both grown and up on their own doing their thing. But, you know, my career path, you know, moved on from there. Became a head of the turnaround group for um, the, the Equistar group, which was formed between Lionel, Millennium, and, and Oxychem. Okay. Uh, Millennium exited that position about a year and a half later. So Lyondale was a you know sixty six percent owner. Oxychem thirty three. Oxychem didn't like that position. So about two years later, they sold to Lyondale. So we came with Lyondale and stayed with them until you know two thousand and nine. Two thousand eight, we were bought by Basel. Lyondale Basel put us in bankruptcy. You know when we had the, the recession of '09. My job at that time was all the fourteen plant managers along the coast reported to me. And they asked me to, uh, they were going to disband that job and move me to Clinton, Iowa, and Morris, Illinois to manage those plants. It really wasn't an option for us with our kids in high school at the time. Mm-hmm. So I asked them, you know, what options I had. They said, we you come to corporate? I said, my God, I always kept my office at one of the plants for a reason because you guys don't really like me in corporate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a doer. I'm not one for meetings. I like to get things done. So that's what my other options were, and they gave me a real, really nice uh, service package. Okay. So I was here in April 2009. Along this time, I've always been in the best side businesses, uh, a lot like my yeah. dad. I had side businesses going on, and I had a uh, HOA maintenance company running at the time. I had six trailers running, doing any type of maintenance in these big homeowners associations around Houston, Clear Lake, Pearland, Stafford, Sugarland. I mean, that kind of evolved into a fence building business. Um, I love uh, it. I love it. And, Serial uh, entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. Then I kind of just, you know, I had six. So I said, you know, what? I'm just going to go home and run that business. Um, I was getting paid for 28 months, full pay from, from that. From mm-hmm. my there. So like, you know, I'll be able to grow that company. It would be good. About, you know, seven months into that deal, I realized the issue with that business model was the quality of the employees that you can hire to do that type of work. Pretty much every Monday morning, somebody's in jail. Uh, my tools were hawked for the weekend. I have to go to find the receipt in the truck, which they weren't even smart enough to take it out of the truck, go get my tools back. Um, just a lot of, you know, employee issues, just basically because of the, you know, the uh, salary uh, set for that type of positions, just the type of people that you would get. And I sat down and really analyzed what I was doing. I had tons of fence business work. I had a company out of spring coming in want to buy that business. They We sold that business to that part of the business to them. Then a friend of mine asked me to uh, come by, look at his business in the early 2010. And I came over and looked at uh, the offer he had pretty much determined uh, he was in a bad situation and really didn't really want to get involved with that. I was going to go back to what I was doing. His wife and my wife were friends. She hit me up about two weeks later and said, Hey, why don't you reconsider? And I did. And I thought, you know, I'm still getting paid. I have enough money to get me through another year or two and uh, we'll see what happens. 
Well, that's when I became the HP Mechanical as the Director of Operations. We had, okay. It's, it's a nice title. We had four associates at the time. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> we had uh, my business partner, the, the owner at the time, our uh, office lady, myself, and one technician. He was outsourcing most of the technician work at the time to other mechanicals in town. Business model that really wasn't working at all. He was in a negative situation considering shutting the doors. We turned that operation around from, you know, I think we did about 700000 our first year. I hired some people, got some things moving. You know, um, here we are, you know, you know, what are we, 10, 11 years into this deal now? Viable business, you know, almost 50 associates now, three locations. Oh, wow. That's huge. You know, we're in the mid, you know, in the mid teens in revenue and growing fast. So, you know, yeah, my, my day to day operations started here being a director of operations of one person. I wore many hats for many years, estimating client services, uh, parts ordering, doing jobs myself, you know, just hiring to hire staff. You know, when you're in this business, nobody wants to come to work for you because I don't think you're going to make it through, through tomorrow. And the quality of the right. technicians you get isn't that good. Sure. I was always in the field training. I was in the field. I was in the HVAC business myself. Mm-hmm. I'm very much mechanically inclined. Again, thank you to my father. He builds anything and everything, mostly hot rods, but you know, I can work on about anything just like him. So I was able to, you know, parlay that into getting people to come to work for us, trying to get us some good children mechanics. You know, then my severance package was running out in 2012. Told my partner, you know, I've kind of done my job, kind of moved you to where you could probably take this and you know, make it a viable business. That's what you want to do. I'm going back to what I was doing. He came in and offered me a 49% stakeholder in the company. Oh, wow. He must have been pretty appreciative of what you'd accomplished. Yeah, we were like a little, you know, little $2 million company, barely $2 million at, you know, back in 2012. And I considered it for a while and um, come back and said, you know, it's okay. I'll do this with you. And then, you know, we put a kind of a plan in place and grew the business, you know, did have a couple of good years in 15, 16, 17, um, you know, companies growing in 13, we bought land, but built a brand new office, uh, which we've already outgrown now. We need to, we need to add on and buy another place, but, you know, never, uh, I, I always had a vision of getting to, you know, like a $30 million company. Uh, his vision was a $5 million company. Oh, so okay. We, you know, we're kind of at an impasse with that. But, you know, we're making plans to make that, that transition now. You know, okay, he's a, that's great. He's at a you know, retirement age, and he hasn't been active in the company in a good five or six years now. And uh, I kind of run I run everything. They are the operations. I run all three locations. Everybody reports to me. It's my game plan, my my risk, my rewards. Okay. And, uh, we are we are moving forward. Uh, well, that's a... Forward. Basically, is four a, people to, you know, 50, 49 people, 48 people today, 48, excuse me. That is, uh, that is awesome. And where are your other locations besides Houston? So we have, uh, you know, our main office is in the north side of Houston in the Kingwood Porter area. Our second location, which we opened up in 17, is in the Beaumont um, area over there. Mm-hmm. We service uh, Beaumont, the greater Beaumont area, and we service all the way into southwestern Louisiana. We go all the way to like Lafayette, Lake, Lake Charles. Okay. Uh, with, the, with that office. And then this year in April, we opened up our North Texas office in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And then the Grand, our office is in Grand Prairie. Oh, okay. Well, that, North Texas, so. 
So what prompted you to open the other offices? Did you, was it, it, because actually let's take a step back. So your focus is more on the commercial side than the residential. Yes, we are 100% a commercial HVAC plumbing this year, HVAC plumbing, building automations uh, business. We started that in 2016. So, you know, we're, we do everything on the facility side, except for electrical at this time. Okay. Okay. Our our customer base or our customer direction or the you know customers that we seek or you know your larger facilities. So our market verticals are healthcare, the big distribution centers you see these you see being built everywhere now. Yep. Um, you know those guys have tons of ACs on the roof, even though they're uh, they're not your water systems like we're used to in our healthcare facilities, our Class A buildings, our big hospitality um, buildings like a JW Marriotts and things like that. You know they all have mm-hmm. water. That's kind of our sweet spot. You know, we really go after those chill water systems. We have a boulder division, so we take care of their, their, their boulders also. You know, the cooling tires, chillers, and anything with the AC systems, we'll change the thermostat, you know. But we try to focus our business on the chill water guys, the, the distribution business, because they have large package units, religious, healthcare, mm-hmm. you know, commercial buildings, uh, municipalities, and K-12 and higher education is kind of our markets. What we don't do, strip centers, restaurants, big box retail, and things like that. We're, we're not competitive in our price points and our mechanics okay. are way more skilled than what they need. Okay. So that's really not a market for us. Oh, that sounds like a, a great mix of uh, industries. What prompted you to expand? Was it that your customers were just asking you to do it because they also had locations there? Or was it driven by something else? So when we started, the, you know, when the company was started, it was actually started the year before I got here in 2009 by my, by my current business partner and two other partners. They exited the business the very first year or so. And when he went to relabel the company as a corporation, a C corporation, submitted a couple names and ended up, you know, our company name was HP Mechanical Services. And the H stands for Houston. And the B stands for Beaumont because our first two customers were okay. uh, a hospital in Houston and a hospital in Beaumont. Okay. So, uh, now, I was on the road a lot between those facilities, you know, as we grew our business. So, you know, the Bowman office just made sense to us in 2016 that we kind of picked up a big market share over there and, uh, you know, got that opened up. We were able to hire a gentleman that had a much larger mechanical business uh, until he retired. He's taking about 10 years off when to come back to work. Uh, he still manages that office for us, does a wonderful job on our side. Knows more about air conditioning than I'll ever have a chance to learn. But, uh, oh, what a great resource yeah. to have, huh? Yes, yes. You know, his son is, uh, you know, his number two over there, and they built a really good business model over there with us. And uh, we've enjoyed watching that, the fruitation of those those labors over there. Our, our, you know, we looked at, you know, a lot of people will tell you, you know, you don't even have 5% of the Houston market. And you're, you're, you are correct. I do not. I don't have 5% of the Houston market. I'm a mid I just came to be a mid sized mechanical this year. Uh, once you you know break into the mid teens and higher teens, you get out of that mm-hmm. small mechanical into the mid mechanical. You know, we're about in that branch till you know thirty or forty million, then you get to be a big mechanical. Okay, you know, we have a three year plan to get there, and uh, okay, you know, three, to three, three to thirty, five to fifty. You know, that's kind of our plan right now. Okay, and we're on track, and you know, we're right on track with that plan. You know, we experienced thirty plus percent growth right the last three years, which is what we were looking for. And so, our, you know, uh, one of our customers, and I may be, you know, getting ahead of the the deal here, but uh, why, how, did, how did we end up in, you know, North Texas? It seems like kind of a stretch, you know, for uh, for us. But, you know, Houston is a very competitive market in my in my market space. There's the mm-hmm. most mechanicals, Western and state of Texas are in, are in Houston. Okay. Uh, 
a new one shows up, starts up, buys somebody every single day. You know, it shows up. We just had a mechanic go from Chicago buy somebody here. You know, there's people coming in from you know all over. Um, you know, the southeast portion of the United States and Houston in general are the most air conditioned areas of all the world. You know, Houston's probably the, one of the most more air conditioned cities in all the world. Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, there's a big um, there's a big need here, but there's also a lot of players in the game here. Okay, Dallas, that makes sense. Yeah, Dallas, not so much. Houston, Isn't that interesting? Huge need in Dallas, but not many players in Dallas. Not oh. many mechanicals that know what we do. You know, okay. There's a lot of, for a better lack of terms, chucking a truck, you know, type yeah, guys yeah. up there. They have a truck, maybe two trucks. You know, they're running around working on, they say commercial, but they're really not. They're not much more than packaging it. You know, guys, they, and bless them, they do a great job with what they do. They're, they don't do what we do. And right. Dallas has a lacking of the larger mechanicals that can do what we do. And, you know, especially with us being healthcare at one time, we were hundred percent healthcare. We've diluted that model as we set up our vertical market, you know, selling systems. So it's probably about 70% of our total revenue now, but you know, they've been crying for years for me to get there. So I'm there now. We've picked up, you know, six or seven big hospitals in one year. And then in those healthcare systems, you know, where really our venture to Dallas and the North Texas market is a interesting story in itself. If you have time for that, we have as much time as you want. I'm really enjoying hearing the story, Kevin. So one of the things that I pride this business on is, is several things. You know, we don't put our number on the side of our vehicles for a specific reason. We do not want unsolicited business. We target our customers. We go after the customers we want. We have a criteria of the customers that we seek. Mainly, number one, you know, we told you that they're, they're larger facilities. We're like, you know, if you don't have at least 10,000, we prefer you to have 30 or 40,000 square feet. And, you know, chill water, you're definitely in our, in our market. It's not a, you know, like I said, our big distribution centers don't have that, but they have you know, our largest distribution center that we have now is in Dallas. It has 146, 70 ton AC units on the roof. Are you serious? Wow. How yeah, many square foot is that? Facility? I don't remember. It's several million, but it has 679 dock doors in it. So that's wow. How big it is. Wow. Because I think so, an acre is like 43,000 square feet, right? Yeah. It's a, yeah it's, it's up Boy, it must be old, a big place. Yeah. It's up at the old Naval Ammunition Base that used to be in Dallas up there off of Jefferson. They, okay. Uh, they, they bought that and, and they built actually four buildings on it now. And uh, so, yeah, as my story continues, you know, we, we in about 2015, we acquired a customer here in, here in Houston that had a couple buildings, distribution center type buildings. But, you know, we've never really been in that business, but they asked us to, you know, come look at their business. And sure, we can do that. But one of the things we pride ourselves on here is, like I said, we don't put the name, our number on the side of our, of our vehicles. We don't want to solicit the business. We're not a number. We're not here to give you a number. You know, mm-hmm. we, we're not going to be the cheapest. But at the end of the day, I can promise you we're going to be the company that comes in there and takes, takes your pain away for that day, that week, that year. You know, we, we have a much different selling model when we as we go to market. Our job is that when we get a customer is to understand your budget really better than you do. You know, okay. My goal is to drive your HVAC plumbing budget every year. You know, okay. we set up a one, three, five, seven plan with our customers. We go over, you know, their equipment. You know, we try to predict when things are fail. Do I have a glass ball? No, but I, if it's on the list, you know, I just had a cool entire fail at a customer about three weeks ago. And I 
predicted it in year three. This is year two, and it failed. I talked to the CFO. He called me. I said, man, I'm, I'm sorry. He goes, I'm not. It's on the list. I've already budgeted for it. Oh, that's great. And, you know, so the, so, you know, capitalism is about comp, comp, competition, you know, mm-hmm. and that. So, but, you know, how do you come to market different than everybody else? You know, I knock on the door, it takes you 25 times even get the door open, you know. But once I get there, I work hand in hand with that, that person or that facilities director. And, you know, our goal is to get to the facilities director, to the COO, and then the CFO. Mm-hmm. We work all the way up through the C-suite. So we, we understand their business. We understand their budgets. We understand how they are able to move monies from capital projects into maintenance dollars, how maintenance dollars affect so much. So we want to work with their budgets. And, you know, a lot of you people down at the facilities level really aren't budget savvy, but we are. So we can help drive that budget. And just like the gentleman that called me, the CFO called me, I gave him the price. Yes, I'm projecting three years out for that price. So obviously it's got some, you know, predicted up, up charge cost in it. But I said, hey, what do you want to do? He says, well, get it done. Well, I just got a, a job without having to bid it. Yep. No, so, no, no competition, no three bids. Sure. Because I did my homework up front. I got into their budget. I understood their budget. I set them a course of action. And now I'm, for better sense of lack of words, I'm controlling their business. Right. So I'm it sounds like you. Better. So it sounds like you really try to be more of a partner than a vendor. Oh, Is that an 100%, accurate description? 100%. My, my team knows whatever the facilities director or whoever's in charge of that facility is paying for that day is that you call them or talk to them or they call you just now became yours. And the first question I get, well, what if it's not HVAC related? I said, did I say that? I said, it's their pain. We figure it out. And that kind of goes back to my story I started on a while ago. So, you know, for one of our customers, they have a really, it's a, it's a national organization. They have a locked vendor list and their facilities directors really have struggles for what you would call out the box, outside the box type vendor request. Okay. They can't, they can't get them into their facilities or they can, but it takes two weeks or two months or mm, you know, mm-hmm. whatever to get the vendor on. And then if they can't, if they don't use the vendor enough, they can't even get them on anyway. They don't have projected, you know, revenue with that vendor. And a lot of vendors for specialty things can't, don't have the insurances, you know, to have the insurance amounts to be able to come onto their site and do something. Okay. So we can, you know, we understand that. So we sit down with them and say, Hey, look, okay. You know, what's your pain today? What do you got going on? And how can we help you? Well, I've got X, Y, Z. Hey man, the big boss came in and my parking lot's not striped. Right. No problem. I'll take care of that for you. I go call A1 Striping. They go take care of the parking lot. We have agreed. We put 20% on it. They pay the bill. We move on. Wow. That's really, uh, talk about a customer-focused business model. So, you know, we, we do that for this customer and a lot of our customers, not just this one, but I'm going to use this as an example because this is probably our biggest success story of that business-type model. You know, for this customer, we have had a barbecue pit built for their associates. We've shot their parking lot. we pressure washed their building. We bring in a... Uh, parking lot sweeper on the weekends to clean their parking lots. I mean, the list just goes on and on. We've made custom uh, trash cans for them. The things that they can't get those, you know, specialized vendors to come in there to do because they can't get on their vendor list and they can't pay them. Mm-hmm. But they can me and they've agreed that, hey, you know, you handle going to be winding up for 20%. But what it does for me, here's what it did for me. So I get a phone call from a gentleman over at their building on, on, in Fallbrook and he said, hey, 
the corporate VP is here today. We're on the upstairs board meeting and the sun's in his eyes. What do I do? I said, not a problem. I have a window tenor there tonight. And called a gentleman Tomball. He went over there that night, tended the windows in the corporate in the corporate boardroom. VP was a happy camper the next day. About six months later, Honeywell, which is a competitor of ours, well, obviously they're a huge company, but they're in the mechanical mm-hmm. space too. But you know, they bought the company. And I told you that previous building had six hundred and seventy-nine dock doors, that's just one building. Yeah. They own a hundred and hundred and sixty-five across the country. And so they had a company that that, that managed stock door business for them. Did all the repairs. You know, you have to keep those trucks moving every day, so those doors have to work. Mm-hmm. Honeywell said, "Hey, by the way, we're in the HVAC business, and we want to take over every facility too. We'll add one more guy, you know." And and somebody at and uh, the corporate headquarters back east thought that was a wonderful idea until it got to this vice president's desk, and he said, "Well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give Honeywell everything but Texas." Call HB Mechanical and see if they can handle Texas for me. If they okay. can, give them Texas. So they called and I said, where's all your buildings? He said, McAllen, El Paso, San Antonio, Pflugerville, uh, four in Dallas, Frisco. Uh, there's like 11, 12 buildings. And not, not that I count Houston. We already had the 14 buildings in Houston. And uh, I said, yep, we'll make it happen. And so we did. And we opened up North Texas. You know, we're managing San Antonio out of Houston right now. We have a, a partner taking care of our El Paso and McAllen facilities. There's not enough business for us to open up down on there. Sure. You know, we opened up in April. Um, the DSC market loves us up there. They've been saying good things. And, and they kind of restructured also a little bit. And they're the guys that we were dealing with are now like really big regional guys. They okay. got really upset with Honeywell, so they took South Carolina from them, gave me South Carolina. I just picked up South Carolina. We just got our license and starting out there with them. We're starting licensing in Oklahoma next week. So we oh, wow. With them. They want us to go nationwide. That's 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 not doable for us. You know, that's a, that's a big mm-hmm. investment. That would be an acquisitional-based investment for us, and we just don't know that we're at, you know, at that point right, right now. Sure. We will look at the opportunities that they give. But the moral of my story is, when you think outside the box, you provide good service. You understand your customers' needs better than they do. You know, success comes your way. They will, mm-hmm. re- will re- reward you for that. Mm-hmm. Well, that is a awesome story. I, I really appreciate the customer-centric focus of the business and that you're in the solving problems with their facility business, right? Yes. And if they have a problem, you're going to help them. So. I, I, I can understand back when you wore a lot of hats that you could make commitments to your clients or your customers and ensure that they got done because, you know, you were either doing it or were right there seeing it. Yes. At the, at the rate you're growing, you know, 35% a year, how do you have a team and a culture that can follow through on your commitments? It seems like that could be a challenge. You are correct. And then and you said it right there. It's culture. It's 100% culture. I drive it. I drive it from, you know, I'm going to say the top, but our org charts inverted here. We're a servant leadership company. Mm-hmm. So um, that's the bottom. I'm at the bottom. <laughs> like I tell them every day, there's room for them. There's nothing for me to do. So, you know, I drive that, you know, it's talked about in every meeting. It's, it's something that we work and work on is the, the culture of customer service here. 
and not just you know not just lip service and not just the norm of what people would consider call you know customer service. It really is truly thinking outside the box, and you know we know that you know they're saying the customer is always right. Well, that's not that's not correct. But what we do preach here is we never say our tell our customers no. We will okay. tell them, we, we will admit we may not know the answer, and there's no fault in that. But we will go outside and get that answer, and we'll get back to you ASAP. And they appreciate that more than you just tell them you can't help them. Sure. Well, that's so I can appreciate that that you've you spent some time on their culture, but I have to imagine that there has to be a shortage of really good HVAC technical professionals, right? Is that a fair yes, assumption? There is. Yes, there is. It's uh, you know as as you know. Um, the schools got to everybody who went to college. No one left behind. It really right. left a, a huge void in the trades market. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, the schools have recognized that misstep. And, you know, we just got finished doing a big uh, trade school out in Katy. You know, we were helping them getting their uh, vacuum systems put in and some things like that out there. But I'm seeing more and more schools going back to these trade schools now. And hopefully for the future, that will, uh, you know, help the uh, – void that was left for you know 10 to 12 15 years that people just didn't go to trade school mm-hmm. and, uh, you know so and we're, and we're kind of seeing it if you look through our we have 20 24 technicians in houston you know our children mechanics obviously guys that, with the minus of one or two they're in their 50s they've been doing this a long time you know and then there's a huge drop down to our you know our technicians are graded from it they come as apprentices they just come out of school when they come in, you know, there's tech one through tech five. Tech one being a kind of beginner. Tech two is your rooftop split system guy. Tech three is a guy that's really good on rooftops, kind of getting a little bit of air cooled chiller experience under his belt. Tech four okay. is a guy that's all, all the way through air, air cooled. They're getting the centrifugal business under their belts. And tech five guys are truly blown centrifugal guys that can tear down, rebuild, you know, and, and all that type of stuff. So, okay. So we help have, me. We have a big void in the your tech threes and your tech fours, because those guys should have been in the business 10 to 12 years. Some sure. Years, you know, and they're, they just weren't there. Yep. And, no, I get it. So help me. So what's kind of the pitch that you would make to a kid who, you know, maybe wasn't like a stellar student in high school and didn't, you know, and he's not maybe sure he wants to go to college and he's kind of considering right. two career paths and career path is, you know, he just goes to college, he gets some random degree and he, you know, he has to borrow some money. And then after four years, he gets some job out of school, like making maybe $40,000 a year, right. 35, 40,000. So what would you tell him that like your career path would be? And what does it look like? How long is he in school? And, and, and might he actually make be making more than $40,000 a year by the time he's 22 and would have graduated from college. Yeah. So, you know, most of the, the people that come into our field are coming out of Sam Jack's HVAC school, Lone Star okay. College, HVAC school, Houston Community College. We actually have setting up some programs with them right, right now. Actually, they have some grant, some grant programs for guys going into that business, you know, where we can hire them for, you know, if they, if they go to school in the morning, we, we can hire them in the afternoon. And the we get there's some grant money available to the college oh, wow. fund their you know fund their salaries while they're working and, and going to school. So that's a real help for every, everybody. Uh, we just had our second meeting with them on that last week. But you know, 
those guys can go to a you know a two year college, get their HVAC certificate, come out. You know, David, do they know much? No, they really don't. They're you know they're they're at the best they're a beginning residential guy. Mm-hmm. You know, they know what a capacitor is, they know what a condenser is, they know what the condenser fan motor does. And then they know what a coal is, you know, and then mm-hmm. they probably have some basic electrical skills and some basic, very basic troubleshooting skills, you know, so they're going to come out of there and they're going to be in that, you know, 16, $18 an hour range. Okay. You know, Which is cool. what? 30, 35,000 a year. Yeah. About that, you know, okay. And typically, you know, if the guys and most of them, what we, <laughs> once again, we're, you know, we're competing against everybody else in town. So some of the things that we do, you know, I will loan my guys to go teach class. And what we do, well, really while we're there is, yes, we're helping the school, but we're also identifying the brightest people in the class that we want to hire. Mm, okay. And then we'll make offers to those before they they graduate because we already have seen, you know, their abilities and we've talked to them and, you know, we have an idea of what we're going to get without having just to, for a better lack of terms, throwing a piece of silly putty on the wall and see if it sticks. Sure. And so, that being said, you know they'll, they'll come into our apprentice program. It's a between a two and three year program, depending on their speed. And most of them go through that program, and they're you know they'll get pay raises along the way, and they'll exit that program around twenty two dollars an hour. That's about okay. two years later, which is about what forty forty five fifty thousand yeah, about that. Yeah, which is about so I'm just hold on, I'm an accountant here, and I'm just doing my yeah. math. So that's going to make them if they spend two years in the apprenticeship. That'd put them at about 22 years old, uh, yes. right? If they started at 18. So their kid, their buddy that went to college is coming out of school. And with my example, he was also making around forty, forty-five thousand dollars $45,000 a year. But the difference is he, uh, the one with you spent a lot less money on school, right? He probably has less yes. student debt. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Two years at a community college, you know, yeah. basically versus yeah. you know, a four-year degree. And yes. I do know what those cost. My I had kids that went through them. So. Okay, <laughs> um, but you know, but so, you know, then they you know, as they get out of the apprentice program and they get into their you know their uh, what we call T one or Tech one, you know, it, depending on their skill set, they can really roll up to be a Tech three within five years. You know, they can, okay, they have a good skill set. Matter of fact, I have a young man right now that started with us at twenty two. He's twenty six today. And he's, a, he's a Tech four. Oh you know, wow! He's already, he has rolled in. He's already working on some, some centrifugals. You know, he's not. Well, he's probably your only. He's probably your only tech four under forty years old. I bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have him, and actually, I actually got two out of that. Out of that. Class. Oh, you do? Oh, okay. Both of them are tech fours, and you know, it's really, it's really good to see that. And then I think that really goes back to us, you know, volunteering our time and identifying guys that we think are going to be superstars. Do we always get it right? No, but. We have had much more success than we've had failures with that model. Okay, I invest a little time and money and paying my guys to go teach, and we end up seem like as seem as though we end up with better associates out of that out of that deal. Sure, and I'm not going to yes. kind of get into the the pay scale of every level, but when but just in general in the commercial HVAC space, where will somebody you know end up? Can they make six figures a year? Oh, uh, easily, easily. Oh yeah, I've got I'm from pretty much from Tech Four up. You're in the six-figure market. Okay. Easy. If you, I mean, you're looking at you know, you know, a tech four is going to going to make between thirty-five and forty-two dollars an hour. And a tech five guys in the forty-two to fifty. Right now, it's in fifty-two, fifty-four. Some other companies in town are pushing fifty-five right now. 
I say, plus I imagine there's some overtime. Oh, yes, there's always overtime. Okay. Well, and I'm also guessing that you've got to have a pretty good retention percentage as well, right? So if you're growing that fast, that means you're right. hiring your techs by 35, you know, by you're growing those by roughly 35% a year, I'm guessing. So if you're losing uh, half of them every year, you're just, those numbers aren't going to work. I'm right, guessing yeah. your retention's better than average. Is our that retention, our, our retention rate is 93.4% right now. Is it really? What's the industry yeah. average? Half I, that I or know, less? I haven't been able to find that anywhere. I, I mean, I've talked to some other folks and they seem to be in the 70s and 80s, but, you know, we're, we're, we've been, and we've been very consistent. Actually, it went down a little bit this year. You know, the more text you get, you know, um, uh, it seems to be that, the, you know, they always think the grass is greener somewhere else. But what's real funny is we had two of them at the middle of last year exit for other companies and both of them are already back here. So, well, you know what? That tells me that, you know, you know, some folks, when somebody quits, they get really mad at them and they cuss at them and they right. tell them they're worthless and, you know, don't let the yeah. door hit them on their way out. It yeah. sounds like I'm guessing you have a different exit interview. Oh, much, folks. much, much. Yes. I will. I will never fault any person for wanting to do better in their, in, in their life. Being an entrepreneur, I always want to do better. I always want to do better, you know. So how does that conversation go then? If you so have one of those folks be, that says, hey, boss, I can make $2 an hour more and, and I'm out of here. What do you tell well, them? When they're hired, you know, we have a, it's not a secret. We Everybody can see what everybody, you know, what the technicians make. You know, we have a chart and they, they can see their pay grade. So we're kind of set up like a, where I came from, you know, the menu, the big business, you know, corporations. So our guys, so we do the, you know, the, the lower, mid and high. Reach uh, be trained. So, you know, take okay. one, have low, mid, high. And that could be, you know, 20, 22 mid, 20 low, 24 high. Okay. So they, they know if they work in that box, that's what they're going to make. Okay. You know? And, you know, we, and so plus they'll get there, you know, and we have a matrix set up. We do uh, employee, you know, uh, reviews yearly on their hire date or the hire week. We, we, we do everything we can to get done that week. I know some companies do like to do the week before, two weeks before. Uh, we were like to suck. We, 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 so, another sidebar, but you know, every associate that's in my company, their birth date and their hire dates in my phone. And I said, Oh, them really? Thank you for coming here. Appreciate your service. And when, and when my admin is putting it in their phone, they put the year they were born and the date, the year they hired in. So I don't know how many years they were here. I know how old they are that day when I, when I text them, Happy birthday. Thank you for, you know, hope you're having a wonderful day today. Wow, so, what a what a nice touch! I bet know, they so appreciate we, that. We really we, we kind of focus on those dates. You know, we have an employee newsletter now that we send out. That's got you know everybody's so you know anniversary dates you know for that quarter or whatever. So we do our reviews on their hire date week. We try to make it that week. You know, okay, it's not always possible somebody's out, but that's what we we do. So in that process, you know, there's a there's a, a standard review process. It doesn't change. It's the same for every technician. Um, then it's a grade score that comes out of that. That grade score flips over to the other sheet where you are, are into your into your box and it spits out a number of how you know if you're if you're high in your box, obviously you're not going to get much of a raise as much of a raise because you're almost maxed out in, in your box. If you're low mm-hmm. and you've done very well, you get to the, the higher side of your box. You know, your box moves with the you know the 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 you know the Inflation rate every year. Obviously, that's been low the last couple of years, but it looks like it's going to be a big year this year. Yeah, um, but you know, so 
we have a process. I guess if I, you know, want to say anything, it's a process that they that they know. It's not subject to, hey, my boss doesn't like me. It's not subject to any really outside factors. It's a, we're here to run a business. You know, my associates are very important to me, but I also then want them to feel like they have just as good a shot as technician two and technician three of doing their job the right way. You know, mm-hmm. we and then if they do decide to move on, you know, we have an exit interview process that we go through uh, questions and then I'll sit down and, and just chat with them, you know, uh, you know, what made you, you know, want to go somewhere else? What did we do wrong here? How did mm-hmm. we not fulfill your needs here? That's just some of the things we do with our yearly reviews too, is, you know, you know, where do you want to go in the company? You know, as you can see, the larger we've got, you know, we have this, this big work chart in our conference room in there and it shows the jobs that are open. It shows, you know, you're three, here's how many jobs we're going to need. You're five. If we stay on this three to 35 to 50, here's where all the positions in the company are going to be needed. We've already mapped all that out so they can see that. That there that is, is awesome. there is a place for you to go. If you do, what you're supposed to do, you come to work, you got a great attitude, you're good with the customers, you don't have any callbacks or many callbacks. So obviously, when you're learning, things are going to happen. You know, you you do as you do, you say as you do. There are places for you to go in this company in the next three to three to five years and, and onward. We have already mapped that course out for you if you just do what you're supposed to do. Wow, that's awesome because they can literally see it on the org chart. Like, hey, I want to be in that box in three years or five years, right? Correct. Correct. And then there, you know, there are some technicians that come in. They're really great at what they do. They're there to fix a problem. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll fix it. They'll go talk to the customer. And then it's like, you know what? I can be in sales. So we test them for that. You know, we we, we give them a couple of the the different tests for that uh, position, and they don't score. They don't score well. So then you have to go back and try to refocus them on to a technical position because they're way more technical than they are for sales. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have to identify that also as the leaders of the company and refocus them on to a position. You know, I ended up with a gentleman that wanted sales so bad. We tested for him, didn't make it, you know, what we thought was going to be acceptable. Uh, we refocused him to a project management, actually paid for his schooling. He just graduated. He's a project manager today. So that's, you know, that's awesome. That's the kind of things that we, I think, you know, I guess, you know, everybody has their own theory about running business. I invest, my theory is I invest in my people or my associates. The associates take care of the customers. Everything else takes care of itself. I think Herb Kelleher at Southwest Airlines, that was kind of his thinking. 100%. It's also the same motto that Home Depot uses. Okay. Yeah, because you you take care of your people on the front line, and then they'll take care of your customers. So, and you're also saying then that if somebody comes to you and says, you know, hey, boss, I want to make more money. Well, you have a real clear path, right? It's either can you fit, can you do better within your box to go to the high side of your box? Or right. if you're already at the high side of your box, how do you help them get to the next box? And what kind of stuff do you do there? Do you like send them to more training or so we have we have, we're actually currently we've gotten large enough now we're going to start having our own in-house training but up until now you know we've contracted with training centers around town we do send a, we spend a big investment sending people off to you know in my world is the the train you know the train schools mm-hmm. uh, carrier you know Daikin, york they have schools they have classes constantly it's expensive because they're in dallas they're in wisconsin they're in virginia you know but we invest in our people and we send them so they can get that edu- that education so they can further their career. 
you know, to, and, and yes, you do find people that, that level out. That's the, all aspects of any business have that, you know, and you want to make sure your superstars are continue running, but you also need to find a place for those folks that do level out. Say they level at a tech four instead of getting mm-hmm. to a tech five, they're tech three. Well, you know, they can come over and to be an SCR, which is a service coordinator role. Okay. You know, openings for that. They can be a service coordinator where they can do dispatching of the guys. They can do what we call the red, they can handle the red tag, you know, a- estimations. They have enough knowledge to do that. And they can, so there is a career path for them too. If, you know, you, your guys are your superstars, they're going to be run to be your service managers. And on to be your DOs and things like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, you're, when you do find people that 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 are, you know, we use this a lot in, in Vistage. You know, the you load your bus up with the people, the right people, and then you find the right seat for them on that bus. Sure. Now that that I just I love the story and I love your philosophy that you've you've brought, and I can't believe how the time is is flying by. <laughs> a few more questions. So one is I want to just talk to you a bit about Vistage. How long have you been involved in Vistage? January was one year. Okay. And what is it that made you want to join Vistage? And has it been has it met your expectations? So I had a friend of mine that, that was in Vistage um, mm-hmm. and in the sales role, I guess it would be a technical advisor uh, group, told me about it. I've always, not to get on the long soapbox, but you know, when you're in a position like myself and you're the visionary and you're the entrepreneur and your brain runs 4,000 miles an hour and you have all these ideas you're trying to implement and you throw it out there and nothing happens. And you're like, what's wrong with you people? I told you what I wanted to do. Let's go do it. Right. So, yeah, and, then, and so you, you know, you throw it out there, and you're trying to be the rah rah cheerleader go, and so I just realized that for me to be successful, even at my mature age, I needed to find other people that thought like I did. And once I talked to Christine and realized the group that, that you know she had available for me, and I interviewed with them, and I thought it would be uh, something I could learn from. And, you know, a lot of folks in my company, when I sit in the meeting, you know, I'll throw things out there they don't think of, you know, and I'll leave the meeting. They're like, oh, my God, you're the smartest man in the room every time you show up. Well, I can tell you this at Vistage, I am not even close to the smartest man in the room. <laughs> that's that's great. Just like you don't want to be the you don't want to have the cheapest or the most expensive house in the neighborhood. And you don't really want to be the smartest guy in the room. right? Yeah, that's a fact. But you know, I'm, 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 you know, as uh, I was telling this last time, I said, I'm just like a sponge. I soak up, you know, give what I can. Um, but you know, there's a lot of really good business persons, male and female, in that in that room, and it's been a wonderful experience for me to learn that there are people that think like me, that think as fast as I do, and uh, kind of run on the same plane of the thought process that I do. Hmm. Well, what, so, so I guess the, the bottom line is you're pleased with your Vistage group and the, and the chair who, who leads it. Again, Christine is wonderful. I, I don't think I, you know, I've never had another one, but I don't think I need one. <laughs> well, I'm with you. Great. I've, Christine's, so she has a role in your life and she has a role in my life and um, she, yeah. she's the only one I've had and I don't think I need mm-hmm. another one. So yeah. <laughs> I've only had one, and I, I told mine, I, I'm not doing that again. I'm done. <laughs> I don't think I'd find another one, you know, that, to meet that, to meet the goals that, you know, that, that where she's at. So that's great. What do you enjoy the most about about running your company? You yeah. know, it takes me. Everybody is like, you know, you get here, but you know, 
I'm not the first to arrive anymore because I do live 65 miles from the office and I have to do, I have to come all the way across town from Manville, Pearland area to the Kingwood area every day. Okay. And I leave, I get, you know, five or five thirty, uh, do a quick uh, 30 to 40 minutes of my Peloton, jump in the shower, get on the road by six typically and six fifteen. So sometimes I get here at seven thirty. Sometimes I get here at eight thirty, depending on mm-hmm. traffic or who got wrecked that day. So I'm not always. We start at seven here at the office, so I'm not here first. But I'm typically the last one to leave every day. But when I get here in the end of the morning, you know, we have a parking lot out front. We have some limited parking, but it's always been this way. You know, I came from an environment where if you were a twenty year guy, you got the favorite parking spot. You got blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't. I don't share that philosophy i park on the side of the building on the gravel road and i leave the train and i have to walk through the mud to get to, to my office because i don't want my people to do that they park in front on the concrete so they can stay clean and come in the in, in the building wow i've never heard of that i think just about every business i've ever been to there's a spot right up front that's got a sign that says like ceo or mr yeah. smith and then comes customer spots and then come right. like employee spots, like by seniority or title mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. So you're right. So your parking lot hierarchy is like your org hierarchy, right? It's, it's inverted. Yeah. It's inverted. Yeah. Any day you want to come here and you drive up, my truck will be parked on the side in the shell lot out there. I don't, I don't, I, I never park on the concrete up front. I'm not I bet that, that, I bet that, and, and why, and, and you said you do that just to keep them clean and their vehicle clean, but I think there's yeah. more to it than just that, right? What's, what's, Respect okay. for them. You know, they come to work every day and, you know, they have choices. I'm going I'm to take Herb Keller again. You have choices. Thank you for choosing Southwest Air- Airlines today. Well, that's you a know? good point because, yeah. in a way, you don't really have choices, right? Or, I mean, they're not choices that you can make a change tomorrow, for example. That's correct. That's yeah. Correct. So I bet you that I bet you that developed, I, that probably contributes to your 94% retention rate, I bet. Probably so. I mean, because, you know, we try to, I try to train the staff to, but to think like I do, but you know, I get the message and I get the, you know, and I get the culture down, but you know, not everybody's me and, I, and that's fine. And that's, mm-hmm. they, they don't need to be because then we would be all the, all these visions running around here and get nothing done. But you know, it's a, we still have to make sure that they are important to us. You know, I can walk in this building. I know everybody's name and I know probably 95% of their wife's names just on shake of a hand. You know, how's your wife doing today? I blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, some of the kids I, I do know, I don't know all of them, unfortunately. My brain does. I try and I try to remember all those names, but I make it a point to make them feel like they're important. And I can tell you that I'm no better than them. I put on my jeans just like they do every morning, get a bed, mm-hmm. put them at a time. And I don't want them, I want them to understand that, that they play an integral role in what goes on here. Yes, I may have the COO title, I may be a partner in the company. Like I said earlier, without them, there's nothing for me to do. Well, that's awesome. I bet that really builds a, a lot of loyalty in your team. It does. As a matter of fact, we uh, just gave our first 10 year service award. We've been in business 11 years. So, oh. and, it wasn't, and, it, and it wasn't me. So it was, you know, it was one of our associates. You know, we have two more coming next year. That is awesome. Well, I've got just a couple more questions to wrap up. Okay. So the first is, if you could go back in time and give some advice to your 25-year-old self, what advice might you give yourself? Hmm. Oh, don't. Uh, well, 
if you're like me, I, you know, I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit, just never acted on it until I was later in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm not going to say didn't act on it. When I was young, I did all kinds of things to make, to make money. I just never took it to a level because, for a better lack of the word, I was you know, working for the man, getting a paycheck. My family needed to feed, you know, and sure. so I wasn't going to gamble. At that point in my life, I wasn't going to gamble. The risk reward was to stay on the safe side. Mm-hmm. In my, in my, mm-hmm. If I had to do it again, I'd gamble. Okay. I, I, would, I, would, I would gamble. Uh, you know, if I just started this business at 25, oh my God, we would have a very, I mean, it's got to be the sky be the limit, you know, but I started at 44 and here I am 55 and, you know, I got maybe 10 years left to, to get this thing where it needs to be. And, you know, just, we're not going to, I'm not going to see the frustration of really what I want to see, you know, but I want to have a hundred million dollar company. And I've told my people all the time, in five years, we will not look like we do today. Mechanical business may not even be the, the biggest revenue of our business. We have to change with time. Mm-hmm. So if I had to go tell my 25-year-old self again, take that gamble, do what you want to do, be the entrepreneur that you know you want to be, and it will come. Will there be failures? Of course there will be. There will always be failures. But you have to learn from those. Then you move forward and you just do it again. That's wonderful advice for, uh, I think, for any 25-year-old. I've heard it said that that when they talk to people who are you know, near the end of their life and they ask them their biggest regrets, it's not the things they did, it's the things they didn't do. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Well, two more questions, a fun one first. Okay. So this is a quick question. I just need you to give me the first answer that comes to mind, okay? All right. So we're both in Texas. Barbecue or Tex-Mex? Oh, for me, Tex-Mex. Okay. That's a Tex-Mex is hard to beat. Yeah, Gringos is hard to beat. Yeah, I do like uh, Gringos. (laughs) And I like the way instead of having uh, salsa for your chips, you can put beans on your chips. Those, those good beans they have. That's yeah. Gringos, right? That does that. I think that's no. Good. That's uh, uh, heck, it's over there. They have one over there in Clear Lake. Oh, you're right. It's uh, yeah. I know. I've got the wrong place. You're right. Lupe. Uh, Lupe Tortillas. Uh, no. Lupe Tortillas. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You're right. Well, is there anything that we didn't talk about or that I didn't ask you that I should have? Is there anything we didn't cover? Oh goodness! Not that I'm aware of. I think I, uh, I think I took over your conversation and talked more than I should. But no, I you, you made my job easy. I only had to ask you like just a couple starter questions, and you and you ran with it. I think we covered it. You know, that's that's my past, and that's where we are. And you know, we're uh, Buzz Lightyear into the future. You know, and uh, that's great. I've got one more question. I've never yeah, asked this yeah. of anybody, and it just popped into my head. You know how like when people win like a big award, you know, like they get inducted to the Hall of Fame or they win a Oscar or Academy Award, you know, they give up and they get a speech and they, you know, they, and they start thanking people. Who are some people you would thank in your life? People that have been instrumental in your life? Well, obviously my mom and dad, my dad, especially, I wouldn't even be talking to you today if it wasn't for my dad. Okay. Obviously, we didn't see eye to eye in business, but that man—he's eighty-two today, still alive, still building race cars, still. Oh, that's cats. awesome! He owns a. He owns well. Our family business is fishing rods. He makes fishing rods. Uh, we own okay. Fishing rods. I own half of it. He owns half of it. My nephews and my son do most of the work there now. But you know, without him, I, I wouldn't even have the skill set to do what I do today. Okay. Um, I, he, I learned it from him. 
know, he was dropped out from high school. His family, a commercial fisherman. He had to go to work. He went to the Navy, got out, uh, went to work, started his own companies, you know, built, can build anything from scratch. And that's, he just gave me, you know, we used to go to look at those cabinets. I don't know, I'm getting off subject. We used to go look at people's houses for cabinets and she'd tell my dad or he'd tell my dad what, what they needed. My dad wouldn't even draw anything. I'm like, dad, what piece of paper? He goes, well, can't you see it, son? I said, no, dad, I can't see it. He goes, well, you will one day. And we go back to the shop. We, we, we would build it from his vision. He just looked at it. Never measured anything. Wow, that's uh, that's awesome. So, okay. Know, I, don't know, I don't know that I ever got that part of it. But, you know, my dad, I was seeing my wife. You know, we were high school sweethearts. I went to college together, got married, have two wonderful kids. You know, without her. You know, digging in the couch to, for pennies to pay bills at times and, you know, having him having my back, I wouldn't be here either. So that's two of the great, you know, people in my life that have influenced, you know, kind of what I do today. You know, there's always role models that you look up to and, you know, mine are all business related. And, you know, you mentioned one of them earlier, you know, Herb Keller, you know, he's uh, I, I modeled a lot of what I do behind him because he has that true embracing of his associates to make Southwest what they are today. That's, that's, that's awesome. So, and I may be pushing the bounds here. Have you told your dad or your wife lately what a big impact oh, yeah. you had on your life? My wife, my wife and my dad both know. I mean, I, I told my dad, you know, he was 82 years old and he's, you know, another sidebar story, but for Christmas, I bought him an iPhone. So I could yeah. track him. He was fishing by him. He'll make, he'll go out to the rod shop, make sure everything's going well. He doesn't make many rods anymore, but he will. Mm-hmm. But he gets his boat. He goes, he can't find anybody to go. He just goes by himself. I'm telling him, Daddy, you shouldn't go by yourself anymore. You know, you're two years old. Son, I'm in great health. I'm doing well. I said, Dad, but you always fish in the backwaters back there. You know, I don't sure. ever know to find you. So, you know, I got an iPhone because I set the tracking on so I could find him. Right. I bought him my personal GPS like two years ago, and he leaves it in the truck. <laughs> so, you know, about a week goes by and I can't track the phone anymore. So I called my mom and said, Dad, Mom, what's up with Dad's phone? Is it broke? She goes, No, he went down and traded in. He, he, he didn't know how to operate it. So he went and got a foot pump. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I sat down with my dad and you know, he eats it every morning, he goes to Waterburger and he says, You know, I said, Dad, I said, You know, you can't do this. You know, I, I've got to be able to find you. He goes, Son, I've been doing this my whole life. I'm 82 years old. Look around that Spartanburg. There's not many of my friends left here. If I die out there, just let me be. It's where I wanted to be. Okay? I don't think mom's going to buy that dad, but you know, <laughs> it is what it is. You know. Well, that is my favorite spot for breakfast, too, is Whataburger. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to add there. Well, he, used to, fact, he, used to tell me, he used to tell me years ago, I said, Dad, where, where are you going? Today? I'm going down to have breakfast with the old man today. The other day you tell me, goes, oh, now I'm not, now I'm the old man here. <laughs> <laughs> it <laughs> happens. Down, you know? It happens to uh, to all of us. Well, Kevin, this has been a really enjoyable experience because I before this podcast, I didn't know you that well, but I feel like I, I know you really well. I really love your your story, the chances you've taken, the the vision you have the things you're accomplishing, your passion for the business. It's its really inspiring for me. And, and I think the other listeners are going to get a lot from it. So so thank you for making the time. Oh, you're, you're most welcome. I've uh, never done a podcast and I find it to be absolutely a great hour to spend. Thank you for uh, inviting me and you know, best of uh, success to you, you know, Christine and the, 
yourself on the on these podcasts. Hey, my pleasure. Well, you have a great day, Kevin. Yeah, thank you, David. And there we have it. Another great episode on the Christine Spray Show. Don't forget to check out the show notes at christinespray.com. And you can find out more about how we can be a resource to you at strategiccatalystinc.com. All the best in your continued success until the next time we talk.